0: Here it is.
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, now it's the Sunday before fat Tuesday, which doesn't mean anything. Most other parts of the world does in uh, Brazil, Trinidad, Southern Germany, Belgium, Bolivian Andes. Oh, and New Orleans, Louisiana. And in a, in a, place like that, like one of those, specifically the latter one, um, creating a live broadcast, podcast, schmodcast really is not anyone's top priority, even mine. So that's all by way of saying this program was recorded, oh, some hours before you're hearing it. It won't be the most topical thing you'll ever hear, but you might want to dance to it. Hello, welcome to the show. down in New Orleans where the blues was born. I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. As we're recording, news has come in of the decision by the White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer to limit the attendees at his Friday afternoon press gaggle, a press conference not televised and not held in the regular press briefing room but in Sean Spicer's office, to limit the attendees to some uh, Conservative friendly media outlets as well as to uh, the broadcast networks, not included CNN, New York Times, L.A. Times. And there's a predictably been the predictable amount of media grousing about this. To which I can only ask with the leakiest administration in history. Laid before them like the most bounteous Buffet. At a Trump hotel, why would any journalist want to waste an hour in Sean Spicer's office? And now, it's time for me to read the trades for you. Because you learn things there that you don't learn in Sean Spicer's office. A couple cases in point. First, from Military Times... The American military has failed to publicly disclose potentially thousands of lethal airstrikes conducted over several years in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan, according to an investigation by Military Times. The enormous data gap, uh uh-oh, name of a new comedy group perhaps, raises serious doubts about transparency in reported progress against the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, and the Taliban and calls into question the accuracy of other Defense Department disclosures documenting everything from costs to body counts. I'm reading it for you. In 2016 alone, U.S. combat aircraft conducted at least 456 airstrikes in Afghanistan that were not recorded as part of a database maintained by the Air Force. That's information that Congress relies on, as well as American allies, military analysts, academic researchers, the media, the media, I blame the media, and independent watchdog groups to assess the expense manpower requirements and human cost of war these airstrikes were carried out by attack helicopters and armed drones operated by the army metrics were quietly excluded from otherwise comprehensive monthly summaries published online for years most alarming according to military times the prospect this data has been incomplete since the war on terrorism began way back in October 2001 if that is the case, says Military Times. It would fundamentally undermine confidence in much of what the Pentagon has disclosed about its prosecution of these wars, prompting critics to call into question whether the military sought to mislead the American public, and casting doubt on the competency with which other vital data collection is being performed and publicized. U.S. Central Command oversees military activity in all three war zones, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria. Syria's a war zone for us? Interesting. Central Command says it's unable to determine how far back the Army's numbers have been excluded from these air power summaries. Officials there would not address several detailed questions submitted by Military Times until the boy stops throwing the copies in the uh, birdbath every morning. No, that wasn't their excuse, actually. The officials from Central Command were unable to provide a full listing of annual airstrikes conducted by each of the four military services. It's really weird. We don't track the number of strikes from Apaches, for example, said a U.S. military official with knowledge of CENTCOM's data collection and reporting practices. The officials spoke to Military Times on condition of anonymity to freely discuss internal procedures and avoid possible bodily harm was referring to the Apache helicopters which the Army has used prolifically in combat over the last 15 years, most recently in support of the battle against the Islamic State. Quote, I can tell you unequivocally, we are not trying to hide the number of strikes, the official said. That is just the way it's been tracked in the past. That's what it's always been, unquote. It's a significant discrepancy, though, and one for which the full scope remains unclear. It seems to me the collection or distribution of airstrike data is not an Army responsibility, said a senior Army official, on condition of anonymity. This responsibility, he says, should lie with the operational or combatant commander. The emission of Army strike data is one of multiple errors, discrepancies, and shortcomings raising questions about the validity of policies and methods used by the U.S. military to compile and disseminate information about its worldwide operations. Another discrepancy, though it claims to use the Air Force strike data, the Defense Department's public summary of operations in Iraq and Syria, current as of the end of January, failed to account for nearly 6,000 strikes dating 2014 when the air campaign against ISIS began. And, on another subject, from another trade. From AgriNews. You know, we're told all the time that genetically modified foods, there's no evidence they're dangerous for humans. But no mention is made of the fact that most of those genetically modified foods were specifically engineered to withstand high applications of a specific herbicide and pesticide. Glyphosate. According to AgriNews, the first glyphosate tolerant crops were planted in the US in 1996. Since that time, glyphosate tolerant and other biotech crops have been planted on millions of acres in the US. The overuse of glyphosate, glyphosate on glyphosate tolerant crops has led to the rapid evolution of glyphosate resistant weeds. At the time the crops were introduced, only one weed species, rigid ryegrass, had developed glyphosate resistance. Today there are 36 weed species worldwide with resistance to glyphosate. In the U.S. 16 of them. There are currently 478 unique cases of herbicide resistance around the world. More than 252 species have evolved resistance to herbicide. The U.S. currently leads the world. We're number one with 156 unique cases of herbicide resistant weeds. When you fight a a war with nature, nature doesn't have to reveal any strike statistics. See how I wove those two stories together, almost out of whole cloth? That's what happens when I read the trades for you, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as if by magic. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Arisol Jr. He's magical too. Well, it seemed inevitable, but sometimes the inevitable actually happens. Budapest, both Buddha and Pest have pulled out of the bidding for the 2024 Summer Olympics leaving only two candidates for the games, Paris and Los Angeles. Two other former bidders had dropped out earlier, Hamburg in 2015 and Rome in September. More than 250,000 people had signed a petition demanding that Budapest drop its bid, as reported on this program last week. The desire to host the Olympics has faded in recent years, according to the New York Times, as more and more cities have concluded that the Games are a potential financial disaster. Host cities have been left with white elephant stadiums, billions in bills and fewer economic benefits than they expected. In response, the International Olympic Committee began an initiative called Agenda 2020 to make the Games less expensive to host, perhaps by holding some events in other countries. You know, like across the border where the expenditures don't count, the 2020 Summer Games are scheduled for Tokyo. More about that. Coming up. Meanwhile, John Coates, the vice president of the IOC, has admitted that Rio's poor legacy in terms of the uh, squalor of their Olympic facilities, a mere eight months after the games, is a major concern for the Olympic Committee. Quote, it's not a good look for us. There's no doubt about that, unquote. Well, more quotes. We wanted the venues to be used to be a legacy for those permanent arenas that were to stay, unquote. He said part of the problem has always been, quote, that was always been, was the quote, that the Rio Olympic Park was so far away from a lot of the city's population I hope that they find a way of bringing people to it to utilize those venues, he added. You mean, like, spend a lot more money for subways and highways? Sure. Rio's legacy of white elephants comes in the wake of the IOC's much-vaunted Agenda 2020 reform. It could happen, he said, of the problems in Rio because of the financial situation with the city council and not having put in place companies to manage those venues afterwards. It's local planning, i.e., Don't blame the Olympics. He said he's not worried about Rio's legacy failings being repeated for Tokyo in 2020 because we're not having an Olympic park like in Rio. In the Heritage Zone, there are existing venues. He said he had confidence in after-use plans for new venues for modern pentathlon and the rowing and sprint canoeing. A new temporary arena for gymnastics will be converted into a convention center what could go wrong while the new volleyball facility is to become a multi-purpose venue for concerts and other events little vague i don't think there are the same risks as for rio i don't see it at all he said speaking of tokyo there's a controversy swirling around the golf club's refusal to allow female members said he hopes the ioc pressure on tokyo 20 and the club will help bring a solution they tell me it's heading in the right direction But our position is pretty firm. If it's not, we have to go somewhere else. Because we're the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day.
2: Wow. How?
1: So give
3: the boys just a bit of slack.
1: What What the frack.
3: What
1: the frack? Pennsylvania environmental regulators have found a likely correlation between a natural gas company's fracking operation and a series of tiny earthquakes in western Pennsylvania. Last year, the quakes were recorded last April in Lawrence County, north of Pittsburgh, and close to a natural gas well owned by a Houston-based oil company, Hillcorp. They were too weak to be felt by humans. No damage was reported. This is the first time we've seen that sort of spatial and temporal correlation, said an official with the state's Department of Environmental Protection. Hillcorp did stop fracking at the well pad after the quakes. Company spokesman said the company has no plans to resume fracking. So they'll stop if they're quakes. Seems like an incentive for the Earth to quake, if the Earth can be incentivized. Fracking has long been tied to environmental risks, such as spills. The frequency of spills, however, has long been murky. States don't release standardized data. Estimates from the EPA vary wildly, and that's before the recent thing. The number of spills nationally could range from approximately 100 to to 3,700 spills annually, assuming... The uh, rate of new wells fractured each year goes from 25,000 to 30,000, said the EPA. But now a new study suggests that fracking related spills occur at a much higher rate. The analysis published this week in the journal Environmental Science and Technology, I read it for the pictures, revealed 6,648 spills in just Colorado, New Mexico, North Dakota, and Pennsylvania in 10 years. The researchers determined that up to Sixteen percent of fracked oil and gas wells spill hydrocarbons, chemically laden water, fracking fluids and other other substances. Hmm. Those sound good. For the study, the researchers examined state level spill data to characterize spills associated with fracking. At more than thirty thousand wells in the four states between 2005 and 2014, that's equivalent to 55 spills per 1,000 wells in any given year, according to the lead author. South, da- uh, sorry, North Dakota, sorry, South Dakota, North Dakota reported the highest spill rate, with 4,400 incidents. Its rich in oil. The state's higher spill rate can be explained by varying state reporting requirements. North Dakota is required to report any spill larger than 42 gallons. Well. Requirements in Colorado and New Mexico only uh, call for reporting 210 gallons. Different reporting requirements are a problem, but the uh, researchers found that 50% of spills were related to storage and moving fluids needed for fracking via pipelines. Not trucks, not railroads, pipelines, ladies and gentlemen. Those are supposed to be the best ways to. The causes are quite varied. One researcher told the BBC, "Equipment failure was the greatest factor." Yeah, I, I blame the, I blame my equipment whenever I can. The loading and unloading of trucks with material had a lot more human error than other places. I didn't know loading of trucks was a place, but there you go. For the four states studied, most spills occurred in the first three years of a well's life when drilling and hydraulic fracturing occurred and production volumes were highest. As you may know, I think it was mentioned on this program that uh, fracking wells have a very short life, act- active life. All of the um, production occurs usually in the first two or three years. So that makes sense, doesn't it? What the frack? And now... News of Smart Houses. Samsung has confirmed that its smart TV sets are listening to customers every word. And the company is warning customers not to speak about personal information while near their TV sets. Ain't it great to be alive? The company revealed that the voice activation features on its smart TVs will capture all nearby conversations. The TV sets can share the information, including sensitive data with Samsung, as well as third party services. Hello, third party. How are you? Back, you know, in the uh, prehistoric days, there were things called party lines where people shared a telephone line. Now there are third party lines without a telephone line. That's called progress. The news comes after Shane Harris at the Daily Beast pointed out a troubling line in Samsung's privacy policy. Quote, please be aware that if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured, tamed, no, they don't say that, and transmitted to a third party. There's that third party again. That's where they're having all the fun. I want to go to the third party. Samsung has now issued a statement clarifying how the voice activation feature works. Quote, if a customer consents, see, there's there's your one remaining slice of power. If a customer consents, which suggests you don't have to yet. If a customer consents and uses the voice recognition feature, voice data is provided to a third party. Let's party down at the third party during a requested voice command search. At that time, the voice data is sent to a server. That sounds nice. I'll be your server tonight. Enjoy your experience, which searches for the requested content, then returns the desired content to the TV. Unquote. I blame the server. Don't tip him. The company added it does not retain or sell the voice data data but it didn't name the third party that translates user's speech samsung has since the original statement updated its policy and named that third party in question nuance communications everything's good now they're nuance what could what could be wrong with a little nuance communications Smart house, ladies and gentlemen. It's so smart to live in one, isn't it? Gipsy, New York, this is... No, wrong card. From New Orleans, Louisiana, this is LaShow. Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week.
0: We're so sorry.
1: No time to be sorry now. It's... Oh, well, I guess there is. London Dungeon has apologized after a series of social media posts which promoted... The attraction. That attraction is London Dungeon. On Valentine's Day, the posts were branded as sexist and misogynistic. Imagine that. The tourist attractions official Twitter and Facebook accounts posted a series of images as part of a dark Valentine campaign. This week it uh, deleted all the posts after a backlash on social media. One post which was deleted before the others came down read, quote, what's the difference between your job and a dead prostitute? Your job still sucks. <laughs> this is Britain. They're so understated. Another said, Jack the Ripper just messaged he wants to Netflix and kill, unquote. Not all the messages seem to be connected to the museum's criminal historical context. Some were general jibes about appearance. Post drew condemnation on both Twitter and Facebook. In a statement, a spokesperson for London Dungeon. London Dungeon has a spokesperson. Said, we apologize that our social media posts caused offense. Our Dark Valentine campaign was a range of posts aimed to highlight the darker side of history and create debate and conversation. As a brand, we strive to entertain our guests so they can enjoy the London Dungeon experience. However, on this occasion, we recognize that some of the topics many felt were inappropriate, and therefore we apologize for any offense caused. Sincerely yours, is London Dungeon. At a meeting open to all Uber Technologies employees this week, Travis Kalanick, Kalanick apologized for cultural failings at his company. This follows a former employee alleging she, alleging she was harassed and discriminated against while working at Uber. Alongside board member Harriet
2: Huffington
1: and Uber's head of human resources, Kalanick, Kalanick spoke at his ride-hailing company, San Francisco headquarters in a meeting that lasted for more than an hour. He uh, at times had tears in his eyes, and he apologized for a lack of diversity in the company's workforce and for not properly responding to employee complaints. While those in attendance lobbed tough, pointed questions, said the attendees who asked not to be identified because they're so not afraid. Dateline Hopewell Township, New Jersey. The township school superintendent has apologized to parents for a recent high school lunch menu (laughs) that served fried chicken to celebrate Black History Month. The February 16th lunch menu at Hopewell Valley Central High School also listed cornbread, sweet potato casseroles, sautéed spinach, mac and cheese, and peach and apple crisps. It's not clear, says the Times of Trenton who complained about the menu. Quote, the decision to include these items without any context or explanation reinforces racial stereotypes and is not consistent with our district mission and efforts to improve cultural competency among our students and staff, said Superintendent Thomas A. Smith. He wrote that the district's food service vendor apologized to the district in their meeting with the company to reinforce our district values. Apparently the vendor didn't read the mission statement. I may mean, might have, want to post it in a more pro, uh, prominent place. The vice president of the food contractor, Pomptonian is the name of the company, said one of their directors based at the school worked closely with the high school on creating a menu event to celebrate Black History Month. The suggestion was to do something to celebrate soul food, said the spokesperson in an email. The company tries to offer a diverse menu, respecting different cultures, she wrote. Pomptonian deeply regrets that out of context, this menu may have been perceived by individuals as insensitive or in poor taste. Or just taste poor. The director at this location never intended to do anything that would offend anyone and deeply regrets the decision and understands that it could have been taken out of context. Family-owned company provides meals to more than 350 schools across the state of New Jersey. Oh, to be back in school and eating school meals again, huh? The far-right Alternative for Germany party has uh, voted one of their politicians out of the party for slamming Berlin's Holocaust memorial as a monument of shame. He has now apologized for his controversial remarks. I unfortunately turned a big important issue into a beer hall talk, said Bjorn Hawk, the um, leader of the faction in Thuringia during a meeting in his home state. I let myself get carried away by the atmosphere. I allowed room for interpretation. That was a mistake. For that, I would like to apologize here. Don't Don't do beer hall talk, sir. Do locker room talk. It works. A battered Halifax, Nova Scotia pride society. Has published an open apology to the L B G T community, where's the cue, and vows to do a better job of including all groups in the organization's annual 11-day festival. The organization had been under fire for not ensuring diverse voices are heard and represented, sparking a boycott of the 30-year-old parade that draws about 100,000 people annually. To Halifax, I understand it has been a very difficult time for a lot of people in our community. We acknowledge our role having created some of that, a lot of that hurt," said Executive Director Adam Reed. We're really committed to working with our community to build a festival that's more reflective of our community. So the society issued the letter of apology to its members and others in the community. Well, at least it's an inclusive apology. Fashion line Burberry has issued an apology for mistaking Rogue One star Riz Ahmed for Lion star Dev Patel. In a celebratory tweet following Britain's Academy Awards, the problem was that the photo attached to the tweet was actually that of Ahmed. Adding insult to injury, Ahmed's tuxedo was gray, not navy. The tweet said he was wearing a Burberry custom-made navy tuxedo. We've apologized directly to Dev and Riz for the mistake. We're incredibly sorry. It should not have happened. We're checking processes, or sorry, it's Britain, processes, to ensure it does not happen again. Even fashion lines can make a mistake. The executive producers of Fox's popular TV thriller 24 Legacy have apologized for using footage from a deadly terror attack in Kenya in 2013. Evan Katz and Manny Koto said it will be removed from all future broadcasts and versions of the show. Kenyans on Twitter earlier condemned the producers using using the hashtag. Someone tell Fox. 67 people were killed when Al-Shabaab militants attacked the popular Westgate Mall, you may recall in Nairobi. Four years back, in the statement, the producer said, we regretfully included news footage of an attack in Nairobi. They apologize for any pain caused to the victims and their families and are deeply sorry. Sinead O'Connor has apologized for saying Arsenio Hall supplied the late singer Prince with drugs. The singer and the comedian issued a joint statement on CNN. Arsenio Hall and Sinead O'Connor, O'Connor op- uh, announced the Sinead has retracted and apologized for statements she made about Arsenio last year, which prompted his defamation lawsuit against her. The lawsuit has been resolved, the statement said. O'Connor had accused Hall, who was friends with Prince, of giving him drugs. Quote, Two words for the DEA investigating where Prince got his drugs over the decades Arsenio Hall, unquote, O'Connor, writing in a Facebook post in May that she later deleted. Anyone imagining Prince was not a long-time hard drug user is living in cloud cuckoo land, was the rest of the message. Prince, as you know, died from an accidental overdose of fentanyl in April of last year. Hall had filed a $5 million lawsuit against O'Connor. Quote, I apologize for my Facebook posts about Arsenio Hall to the extent that anyone thought I was accusing him of acting as Prince's drug dealer and supplying him with illegal hard drugs or insinuating that Arsenio had something to do with Prince's death. That's from O'Connor's statement. I sincerely apologize because those statements would be false, and I retract them unequivocally. You can't retract what you didn't say, babe. Yes, I was babing Sinead. An attorney for Arsenio said in light of the retraction apology, the lawsuit gone go away. A Texas newspaper is feeling the wrath of some readers who have accused it of being fake news. The Bryan College Station Eagle made an error this week, and its front page said Donald Trump was replacing Mike Pence with Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster. In reality, McMaster was replacing former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn. There's no good excuse at all for serving this to our readers, said the editor in a prepared apology. You deserve better. Apparently, the Eagle was understaffed, didn't have enough copy editors. That doesn't happen in newspapers anymore, does it? Copy editors? Dateline Mexico City, Mexico's government this week, took the rare step of apologizing to three indigenous women who spent more than three years in prison after being falsely accused by prosecutors of kidnapping seven police officers and carrying cocaine? The head of the attorney general's office, Raul Cervantes, said he was sorry to the women who are from a small community in Queretaro, central Mexico, and asked for their forgiveness as part of damages ordered by a tribunal. Yeah, you got to you got to be ordered by a judge to ask for forgiveness. That's the rule. And Fox's Fox News channels. Sean Hannity, two Fox apologies in a week. Wow. This is my lucky week. Sean Hannity has apologized for sharing a story on Twitter that called Senator John McCain, quote, a war criminal, unquote. I retreated an inappropriate and inaccurate article. My apologies to Senator John McCain, Hannity wrote on Thursday afternoon. The apology came after a McCain spokeswoman slammed Hannity for sharing what she called a fake news story about the former Presidential candidate, it is unfortunate that Sean Hannity would attack Senator John McCain over a fake news story. It's wrong and he should correct the record, said McCain's spokeswoman. Hannity had shared a link to a story that accused McCain of being a globalist war criminal. Wow, if true, Hannity added to the tweet, which he has since deleted. He's the tweeted elite. If true, the if saved him, don't you think? The website Gateway Pundit had published the story that claims, according to WikiLeaks documents, that McCain illegally asked for campaign donations from the Russian ambassador. That document appears to have been released by WikiLeaks way back in 2008. But, if true, if not, I'm sorry. Signed, Sean Hannity. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. No, it's not Italian Shoes. It's the song that Italian Shoes was kind of based on Ladies and gentlemen, contraindications. Either we are or we are not. Number one. First, the uh, negative. While most people born in rich countries will live longer by 2030, women in South Korea are projected to reach nearly 91. Americans will continue to have one of the lowest life expectancies of any developed country, according to a new study. Scientists one thought, once thought an average life expectancy beyond 90 was impossible, but medical advances combined with improved social programs and better TV are continuing to break barriers, including in countries where many people already live well into old age, according to the study's lead researcher, Majid Azati of Imper- Imperial College London. I can imagine that there is a limit, but we're still very far from it, he said. He estimated people would eventually survive on average to at least 110 or 120 years. That's a lot of tweeting. The longevity of South Korean women estimated in 2030 is due largely to investments in universal health care, he said. Also also leading the list for men with South Korea. Not just for men. It's basically the opposite of what we're doing in the West, where there's a lot of austerity and inequality, he said. Izati and his co-authors used death and longevity trends to estimate life expectancy in 35 developed countries. The calculation is for a baby born in 2030 study was published in the journal Lancet. Women were ahead of men in all countries behind South Korea. Women in France, Japan, Spain, and Switzerland were projected to live until 88 for South Korea. Men, they'll get to 84 next were Australia, Switzerland, Canada, and the Netherlands at nearly 84. At the bottom of the list, Macedonia for women. <laughs> for women, Macedonia at nearly 78 and Serbia for men at about 73. The study estimated the U.S., which already lags behind other developed countries, will fall even further behind by 2030, when men and women are expected to live to 80 and 83. American women, American women, will fall to 27th out of 35 countries from the current ranking of 25. Men will fall from 23rd to 26th. The researchers note among rich countries, the U.S. has the highest maternal and child death rates, homicide rate, and is the only high-income country, without comprehensive health care. They needn't have pointed that out, need they? And, on the other hand, 10 countries are responsible for the vast majority of all major arms exports, accounting for 90% of global arms sales, according to a report by the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. The study said the global trade of heavy weapons systems has now reached its highest level since the end of the Cold War. All right, then. Go long on arms. I don't mean get long arms, I mean for stock purchases. The world's top five major arms exporters are China, France, Germany, Russia. We're counting upwards to number one, the United States of America. Together, they account for 74% of the total volume of exports. In the Middle East, major arms imports have surged over the past few years, according to this study. That's got to be good, right? Between 2012 and 2016, imports by countries in the Middle East skyrocketed by 86%, accounting for almost 30% of global weapons purchases worldwide. The most prolific importers of major weapons around the world, India, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. So we are, and we aren't, number one. Now news of secrets. Secrets. And the olympics the national security agency has denied that it indiscriminately spied on spectators athletes and others who attended the salt lake city winter olympics way back in 2002 the denial came in a document filed last week in a u.s district court in utah they have courts in utah where a group of salt lake city residents filed a complaint Two years years ago, alleging the U.S. government engaged, quote, in widespread indiscriminate communications surveillance, interception, and analysis without warrants and without probable cause during the games that took place. Just a few months after 9-11, at issue specifically is how the President's Surveillance Program, or PSP, was implemented during the games. The program made uh, headlines after 2013 when the government admitted to collecting a type of information known as metadata in bulk. Well, they save money that way. Following the publication of classified materials leaked by Edward Snowden in the court document, the NSA and other intelligence authorities admit that the activities actually carried out under the PSP were conducted without warrant or court order or judicial findings of probable cause, but rather under presidential and statutory authority. According to the NSA attorney, he added to the extent that allegations of this paragraph exceed the scope of or are inconsistent with the foregoing admissions. They are denied. He wrote, neither the PSP nor any other NSA intelligence activity involved or evolved into blanket indiscriminate surveillance. He wanted the court to dismiss the complaint. This comes a month after U.S. District Court Judge Robert Shelby refused to dismiss the complaint that was filed by the former mayor of Salt Lake City, Ross Rocky Anderson, on behalf of a bipartisan group of individuals who are not seeking money damages. Salt Lake City, ladies and gentlemen. Citadel of Freedom. And now, news of the warm, won't you? I think you just did. I think you're soaking in it.
0: Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm.
1: Humans may have been altering Altic sea, uh, Arctic sea ice, Longer than previously thought, according to researchers studying the effects of air pollution on sea ice growth in the middle of the last century. The new results challenged the perception that Arctic sea ice extent was unperturbed by climate change until the 70s. I remember the 70s. Scientists have observed Arctic sea ice loss since then, and some climate model simulations have shown the region was losing sea ice as far back as 1950. In a new study recently recovered Russian observations, Russians, the Russians, does Trump know about this, show an increase in sea ice from 1950 to 75, as large as the subsequent decrease in sea ice observed from 75 to 2005. The new observations of mid-century sea ice expansion led researchers behind the new study to search for the cause, or just to blame the Russians. No, they, they, they're scientists. They search for the cause. Guess what they found? The idea that air pollution is to blame for the observed expansion of Arctic sea ice. Particles of air pollution that come primarily from the burning of fossil fuels may have temporarily hidden the effects of global warming in the third quarter of the 20th century in the eastern Arctic. The researchers say these particles, sulfate aerosols, mm, your hair looks beautiful, reflect sunlight back into space and cool the surface. This cooling effect may have disguised the long-term influence of global warming on Arctic sea ice and may have resulted in sea ice growth recorded by Russian aerial surveys in the region from 50 through 75. Or it may just have been Trump. And the deep ocean and the creatures that live there are facing a desperate future due to food shortages and changing temperatures, according to new research exploring the impact of climate change and human activity on the world's deepest seas. The deep ocean plays a crucial role more even than the deep state, in sustaining our fishing and removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. It's a carbon sink without soap, as well as being home to a huge array of creatures. The new study reveals that food supplies at the seafloor in the deepest regions of the ocean could fall by up to 55% by the end of the century, starving the animals and microbes that live there, while changes in temperature, pH, and oxygen levels are also predicted to take their toll on fragile ecosystems. So don't go there. Don't put your second home in the deep ocean. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, just as we uh, come close to concluding, a few words of background behind the uh, speech President Trump made, President Trump to the uh, CPAC, Conservative Political Action Convention this week. It is widely reported And not rebutted on the public record that in the 1990s, uh, 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 reporters for several New York City newspapers, including the New York Post (laughs) newspapers, uh, would receive phone calls tipping them off to various items of titillating interest about Donald Trump's business and or private life. These calls came from people who identified themselves as public relations spokespersons for Donald J. Trump. They were identified, these men's voices are on the other end of the phone, as either John Miller or John Barron. It has been, as I say, widely reported and not rebutted on the public record that those were pseudonyms used by the actual caller to the reporters, Donald Trump. Now this week, here's what he said at the conservative uh, conclave.
2: But I am... Only against the fake news, media, or press. Fake. Fake. They have to lead that word. I'm against the people that make up stories and make up sources. They shouldn't be allowed to use sources unless they use somebody's name. Let their name be put out there.
1: Okay, so here's a suggestion for anybody in the media who wants to use sources. Identify them as either John Barron or John Miller. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the Show. The program returns next week at the same time over the same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, on the Yufsen four forty cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the East Coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the Planet. It's shortwave on the mighty one hundred and four in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, equally mighty around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from SoundCloud, iTunes, tunein.com, and wwno.org. And it'll be just like carnival lasting at least another week. If you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the Le Show de Chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desk. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO and and to uh, Jenny Lawson also at WWNO New Orleans for help with the today's broadcast. The email address for this program. The playlist of the music heard here on your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. You could wear them on Fat Tuesday. If we could deliver them that fast. Uh, it's all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. show comes to you from century of progress productions and originates through the facilities of wwno new orleans flagship station of the change is easy radio network wherever you are in the world it's just another tuesday coming up except here so long from new orleans